0: Let's open up our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 29. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to pick one up over there by where Andy's standing, the resource table. We're at 1 Samuel chapter 29. If you're visiting, we are going through 1 Samuel. So we're getting near the end. We have today and two more weeks, and then we will complete 1 Samuel, Lord willing. And then we're going to transition to the book of James for the summer, and then in the fall, we'll pick up and, and really get to know David better as we go to Second Samuel. So we are at First Samuel chapter 29, and we are going to be looking at the whole chapter. It's a, in light of what we've looked at so far, it's a, a much shorter chapter than many of the chapters that we have been studying. But let's pray and ask for God to bless our time. Father, we just come before you right now and we acknowledge our need of you. Lord, that you need to do something supernatural to take a, a, a book, words on a page, and make them transformative. And they're more than words on a page because it's your scriptures and it's God breathed and, and it's useful for teaching and reproof and training in righteousness. and righteousness. And God, we're just coming in light of those truths, in light of those realities. And we ask that you would step in right now in this moment that you would speak through your word to our hearts, that you would give us attentive ears and minds uh, to understand what you have to say, and ultimately that you would help us to have it applied to our lives. We pray this in the wonderful and precious name of Jesus. Amen. So there was a spoof video online that I watched a few years back, and a woman is overwhelmed by life. She's working a full-time job. She comes home, and she's got to cook, and clean and do all these things And she's venting to the man in her life So maybe this is, you know, a tribute to moms and, and Mother's Day she's, she's venting to him that he's not even doing anything He's just sitting there and she's like I just worked and now I have to clean, I have to do all these things And he looks at her and he says Something like relax, it's going to be okay And she's like, what? He's like, I have to show you something. So he takes her into a room, and he shows her a laundry basket. He's like, I don't know how this works, but since we've moved to this place, if you put dirty stuff in this basket, the next day it's clean and folded. I I, I don't know. I didn't say anything to you because I didn't want to jinx it. And I don't know, maybe it chose only me, maybe it'll work for you, I'm not sure. And she looks at him, she's like, are you serious? And he's like, but wait, that's, it's not just that. So he takes her into another room and he shows her a table in the room and he's like, I leave food, I leave drinks, wrappers, all this stuff. Sometimes they throw a bunch of stuff on just to test it, does this see? And then the next day, I show up and it's gone. He's like, it's, it's magic. And she looks at him and like, are you serious? Because why? Because it's not magic, right? It's her. She's the one that's been cleaning up. She's the one that's been doing the laundry. See, just because we don't see who's done something doesn't mean it's not being done by someone. No reason to blame luck, chance, or magic on what just happened. Well, chapter 29 that we're about to read and study... Friends, this is especially true with God, in his sovereign hand. Sometimes it's not obvious, it's not clear that he's the one doing it. That does not mean it's any less him doing it. He's always at work, often saving ourselves from ourselves. So that's what we're going to consider today. We're going to look at God's hand at work, even when we don't see it. If you're a note taker… You want to get a glimpse of where you're going if you're filling out the outline. We're going to look at three ways that we see God's hand working. Number one, we're going to see God's hand working through unlikely people. It's quite common in 1 Samuel to see God at work amongst his people, amongst believers. But we're going to see God working through unbelievers in this chapter primarily. Secondly, we're going to see God's hand working in the background, God is much more subtle in this chapter than in some of the previous chapters. There's actually only two mentions of God in this chapter, and it's by a pagan king. And then lastly, we're going to see God's hand working grace and mercy. We're going to see God giving David not what he deserves, but what he needs. All right, so let's pick up, let's begin at chapter 29 as we see God's hand working through unlikely people. Now, the last couple of chapters, we are around the same time period, but we're bouncing between different locations. So chapter 27, we're with David. Uh, At the end of 27, they're getting ready to fight. The Philistines are getting ready to fight the Israelites, and then it stops, and then we transition from there to who? To Saul, and we're with Saul, and we saw last week Saul bringing up the medium to have Samuel come and all that. So now, same time period, now we're bouncing back to David. And if you remember, the cliffhanger with David last week in the very beginning was he was going to have to fight against the people he's been anointed to be king over. And he's been also, he's going to have to potentially fight and kill the king that he has refused to lay a hand on. So that's that cliffhanger like to be continued. What's going to happen? And that's where we pick up right here. Well, first of all, let's notice that God uses a clueless king. Read verse 1 to 2 with me. It says, "Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear," With a quiche, with an Akish. So there's Akish. If you remember, Akish was the king of Philistines, of Gath specifically, that we dealt with in chapter 27. And I think what we need to realize and acknowledge in this reality is that God doesn't only use believers to carry out his will. Understand that. that God, it's, it's not a. a a members-only club for God carrying out his will. You don't have to be a member. I mean, there's golf courses where you have to be a member to be able to golf there. God can use people of all shapes and sizes, believers, unbelievers, and we, we see that. Romans nine seventeen said, The scripture said to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You see that, that God, He raised up wicked Pharaoh to carry out His will. So God uses Achish like He used Pharaoh, like He used the Pharisees at the time of Jesus. It is wild, though, to see the change with God's dealings with David, with Achish. If you remember 1 Samuel chapter 21, He went down to Gath and He came, right? The place that he had killed, not the place he was at, but he killed the the champion of of Gath. Who was that? Goliath. So he goes there and he realizes this was a really bad decision on my part. So what did David end up doing? He acted like he was what? Like he was crazy. He was mad. And Achish said, why don't I have enough madmen here? Why Get this guy out of here. And we don't know what happened the next time he came in 27, but now it, there was a change of heart with Achish. He, he not only wasn't bothered by him, 1 Samuel 27, 12 says, Achish trusted David. He trusted him so much that he gave him a town to kind of make his own, zig So for a year and four months... God saved David from Saul in the hands of his enemy. You see that? That God used this clueless king. He uses Achish. It's what we read in Romans 8, 28. God works all things, what? For the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So I want you to, in this moment, I want you to kind of look at your own life. Who are the people that God is using in your life? Because I think we don't appreciate that God is not just using those believers in your life. He's not just using the Christians who are maybe investing in you and and pointing you to Jesus. God is capable of using your unbelieving coworker, your unbelieving neighbor, your unbelieving friend. God uses the clueless king, but he also, he uses the clever lords. Read verse 3 with me. The commanders of the Philistines said, "What are these Hebrews doing here?" And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, "This is not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years since he deserted to me. I have found no fault in him to this day." But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him, and the commanders of the Philistines said to him, "Send the man back that he may return to the place which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle." Less than the battle, he becomes an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this the David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. All right, so we got Achish who embraces David. Thinks David is just the best. He's innocent. I don't have to worry about David. He's loyal to me. And now you've got these lords who are like, what are you doing? You're so gullible and easily tricked. April Fool's, every year, this happens in real life. Local police departments and sheriffs will post online that if you have any outstanding warrants for your arrest, you can come in today and they will be wiped clean. And people show up at the police station. I even saw it coupled with, a, and you also can get a free vacation. And that got a little bit more people down. And they come in with warrants out for the rest, expecting a vacation. And they got a vacation, all right. They ended up in jail, arrested because there was a warrant. And that's kind of how foolish, how ridiculous Achish is for allowing David to reside amongst them. But notice it was God protecting David from Saul during that season. Well, these lords had two real concerns, and listen to what they were. Number one is he could turn on us in battle. You know that actually happened to the Philistines already in 1 Samuel? 1 Samuel chapter 14 verse 21, Israelites had fled its different parts, and some of them ended up amongst the Philistines and they resided there and kind of became a part of there and then when battle happened they ended up turning from the Philistines and turning to fight with the Israelites so that had already happened and they said notice he's a traitor to Saul wouldn't it be the best way possible to get on Saul's good side in the moment say hey I'm going to start fighting for you not against you I mean think about it prior to when he was killed with bin laden would any military people be willing to fight alongside of bin laden no i mean it would have been foolishness like well no he's loyal to us now he's no longer against us no that that is ridiculous and yet that was it and then the second concern i thought was an equal concern what was their concern consider his reputation This song had become so popular, it was a top 20 hit amongst the region. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his 10,000. When did that song come out? When was his origin? When When God used David to kill Goliath, killed a Philistine, and slayed. Who are the tens of thousands that they're, even though it was probably not literally, who are the tens of thousands? It's Philistines. We're Philistines. You're bringing the dude whose reputation is he's killed tens of thousands, and you're bringing him a long battle with us? But what we see in all of this is God is saving David from fighting his own people. Because what they end up doing is saying he's got to go. He can't fight You see, God's not always going to get us out of trouble, but there are times where God indeed saves us from trouble and trouble that we put ourselves in. Because isn't that David's fault? This is David's reason. David is the reason why he's in the predicament he's in. God didn't send him to the Philistines. He didn't say, hey, I want you to go there. No, David in his unbelief said, Saul's going to kill me. I need to go find a resting place for myself. And he went there. And yet God is saving him. In both instances, God is using a clueless king and clever lords to protect his child. But what is God teaching you through those others in your life? Think about it. Because I mean, I I know this. I've been there. I've, I've done that. I've had the coworker, the ungodly coworker that I despised and I had the hardest time even showing the love of Christ for and, I, and, and I, I failed to appreciate in those times that God is using that person in my life. That they're not there as an obstacle necessarily or a roadblock. They're there for a reason in God's sovereign decrees. And I need to be able to look at that individual knowing that God has them there. So who is that person in your life? What is God teaching you? What is God doing through them? Are you praying for them? Are you loving on them? Are you pointing them to Christ? Friends, people in our lives are not inconveniences. They're instruments of God to further his will amongst us. So we see God's hand working through unlikely people, a clueless king, clever lords. Secondly, we see God's hand working in the background. Notice how subtle veiled God is in this chapter. First of all, he is often very silent and subtle. Read verse six with me. So then Achish called David and he said to him, as the Lord lives, you have been honest. And to me, it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the Lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably that you may not Displeased the lords of the Philistines, and David said to Achish, "But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king?" And Achish answered David and said, "I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commandment commanders of the Philistines have said he shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your lord who came with you, and start early in the morning." And depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Notice, there has been no mention of God in this chapter besides Achish. He said, as the Lord lives, and he mentions him as an angel of God. That's it. Does that mean God is not present in this chapter? You see, God sometimes is very, very vocal, very visible in His work. One of the early ways we saw that in the chapter was when the Philistines they they beat the Israelites and they took the what they take very important thing. They took the Ark of the Covenant. They took the Ark. They took it into their their towns. What happened? You remember? First Samuel five six. This was repeated multiple times. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people. And he wreaked havoc. So we're not talking a single Israelite amongst them. And yet God was striking people dead. He was getting them sick. It was it was a mess. So much that they said, get this ark out of here. So that was very obvious that God's hand was at work. Even in a more recent chapter, very clear God was at work. God, David was ready to kill Nabal, remember? Because Nabal had... had had not given him the proper respect. He wanted to be kind of paid back for helping out his people. And Abel's like, yeah, you're not getting any of my money. And David was ready to kill everybody. And then God intervened through his wife. And this, notice what he said. 1 Samuel 25, 26, the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. So that's God. And I think we probably all could testify ways that it was is clear as day that God did something in your life. It could have been miraculous and and even supernatural, like, oh my goodness, God did that. I didn't see it coming. God did it. But then, a lot of times, God flies under the radar. It's a lot more silent, a lot more subtle. There was a woman, she was having a hard time sleeping at night. And she kept waking up feeling like she was being suffocated. She couldn't figure it out. She's like, why in the world am I feeling this way? And she went to her doctor. And they're like, So what she decided to do is I'm going to put a camera to see what am I doing in that moment. And it only took one night. She watched the camera, watched the video. You know what it was? When she would fall asleep, her cat would literally sleep on her face. So she was being suffocated by the cat. Not necessarily. I don't think this cat had malicious intent. But you know, it was like, it was one of those ones. She had no idea what was going on, but something was going on. And, and that's often with God. He, there's a faith element that I don't know what you're doing, but I know you're doing. Hebrews 11.1. 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Can you... Think of some ways that God has been less noticeably visible in your life. Those seasons where he seems to be quiet. Because what ends up happening when that happens in our lives, there's that battle of faith and unbelief. Where we, we fail to see God. We fail to hear from God. We fail to, to feel that God is present. And we start doubting. And I have to encourage you, friends... God is as much there in those moments as he is in the very obvious and clear moments. It's a matter of having the eyes of faith that God is at work. But notice this, even when he's silent, he is always sovereign. Visible or hidden, vocal or silent, he's carrying out his will. Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Proverbs sixteen thirty three. the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So even though God is very silent on the outside as we look at this chapter, you know what he's doing? He's getting David to one day be king. He used the clueless king to keep him safe for a year and four months. And now he's going to get rid of that clueless, the, the actual king of, of Saul, and he's going to end up transitioning it in time over to David. And now he's using these clever lords to say he should not be with us. He's got to go so he doesn't have to fight against his people. think like we're too quick. And we talked a little bit about it last week with regards to mediums and the occult. We often, we, we look at situations And we say that people are either lucky or they're what? They're unlucky. And we mean they're lucky because everything goes well for them. They win, they get the promotion, they have success. The unlucky person, the car breaks down, this and that. There's no such thing as luck and unlucky. We're recipients of God's sovereignty and grace and mercy. And and sometimes those circumstances are likable from our point of view and other times they're not as likable but it doesn't make God any less involved in those things God will not allow his anointed to far fall too far he keeps them safe well how has god carried out his plan in unlikable ways in your life my wife and i we were talking about our house uh, we made offers on two houses and in the end of the day those would have been really bad experiences I know that for a fact. I look back, it was a foolish decision that we even made offers on those houses. But God stepped in and said, no. We really tried on the first one. We kept pushing it, and God eventually just stepped in and said, no. Second one, it was a little bit quick, and boom, no. And as I look back, and that's just a subtle thing, but like, think of all those things. I think we would be blown away. Our minds would be just like, wow, if you are able to see the behind the scenes of all the ways that God has protected you from yourself. So we see God's hand working through unlikely people, clueless king, clever lords. We see him working in the background. He's silent, but he's always sovereign. And then lastly, God's hand working through working grace and mercy. Because the big picture in this chapter, if you remember, and it's kind of funny, Achish, he seems to have like a, Uh, He seems to be a fan of who? Of David. I mean, think of all the ways that he flatters him. In the beginning, in verse 3, he says, I have found no fault in him to this day. Verse 6, he says, you have been honest. I have found nothing wrong in you. You're blameless in my sight. You're an angel of God. Everything that he said, totally untrue. Have you ever been to a funeral and a person was celebrated and when they were sharing all the things about the person, it was revisionist history? Because I mean, let's be honest, it would be a really awkward funeral if people were really honest about whoever was there. Like he was a miserable father, he was a terrible husband, like, that would, like it would catch us off guard. So, but you'll go, and sometimes I've been to funerals though where it was a little bit overkill on how much praise was being heaped on somebody that I know was this not a good person. I witnessed it firsthand. And what he's saying about David, it, it's not true, it's off-base, it's, it's wrong. David, first of all, why was David in Philist, the Philistines in the first place? unbelief. He didn't trust God. First Samuel 1 Samuel 27.1 I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. What did God promise him? He was going to sit on the throne. He was untouchable. Secondly, what does he do? You know, notice it says that he was always true, he was always honest. Did David lie, do you remember, specifically to Achish? yes what we saw happen with Achish is David would go to the surrounding areas and he would wipe out villages and towns. He would kill everybody. And do you remember why he killed everybody? So they wouldn't go back saying that David had done it. So there would be no witnesses. But when he would get back, he would tell Achish what? I went and killed people from... Either Israel, like the tribes of Israel Or neighboring, like friends of Israel So much so that Achish said He's making himself a stench to his own people So he was, he was unbelief He was deceitful And he was destructive First Samuel twenty seven eleven, David would leave neither man nor woman alive To bring news to Gath Thinking lest they should tell about us And say, so David had done Friends, David is a man after God's own heart Please understand that. And when we compare him to Saul, he is definitely the more faithful, but we also need to realize he is a mess. And yet God saves David from himself time and again. So we need to understand that. We, we, we glamorize Bible characters way too much. And the only one we should glamorize, and it's not even glamorize, is its the truth. It's Jesus. Everybody else no matter which character it is, needed a savior. Everyone else was a sinner in need of Christ. So that's undeserving David. He did not deserve to be saved in this moment. To be honest, and it's really, it's wild even what he says. Don't, don't you notice he argues over it when Achish said, hey, I can't have you come. He's like, well, that's not fair. Like, it seemed like a good act. Like part of me is like, just shut up, David. What if he's like, well, I can go back to them again and ask. And all of a sudden they have a change of heart. Like, David, just, just be quiet. But he's very undeserving. What does that have to do with you and I? Because guess what? You and I, equally as Undeserving. We glamorize ourselves. We consider ourselves not that bad. We are, by nature, revisionist historians. We don't remember how far we were away from the Lord often when God came and saved us. So before we cast judgment on David, let us consider ourselves. Ephesians 2.1, it says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. David was in the same boat as you and I. Fickle faith, liars, slanderers. God didn't come to save healthy people. He came to save what? Sick people. He came to save sinners. And God saves people who can't save themselves. And he does that through His grace and through His mercy. Do you deserve to be saved? Do you act like it? You know how I know whether or not you believe that? How you treat other people. Because I think the more you realize the the amount of grace and mercy that you have received, it will naturally overflow in how you treat other people. But when you're impatient and short-tempered towards other people and the lost and just indifferent and self-righteous and apathetic, you're not getting the gospel. Because when you get the grace... When you get the mercy, you get the fact that God saved me. I mean, that that was the heart of amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Newton was not a great dude, did not have a great background. And he was aware of that, and it, it overwhelmed him in gratitude for what the Lord had done. Was God overwhelming you with gratitude for what he has done? I remember I was younger, one of those toys I got, I don't even remember who gave it to me, and it was so long ago, was a detective kit. Anybody get a detective kit as a child? Well, one of the things that the detective kit had that was uh, great, and parents love it, because it's going to make an absolute mess in your house, was for fingerprints. So it had dust and ink, and like, that's not coming out easily. And I remember, and I would, I remember I took it in the kitchen, and I had to check and see who took the missing cookie. You start checking it like, oh, I was like, there's, there's mom's fingerprint, or it's brother's. Oh, it's my fingerprint. It's that idea that by using uh, the fingerprint kit, fingerprint kit, you could determine uh, who was present, even though I might not have been there when it happened. When we look at chapter twenty-nine on the surface, as I said, very little mention of God, only by Akish. But when we get out the fingerprint kit and we begin dusting, whose fingerprint do we see all over the place? It's God, He's everywhere. Do you understand that? He worked through unlikely people, He worked through these pagan leaders. He worked in the background. He was very subtle, but he was oh so sovereign. He kept David safe from Saul. Now it was time to keep David from himself. So he didn't have to fight Saul. He didn't have to fight the Israelites. And he's working grace and mercy in a very unworthy candidate in David. He kept him safe and he got him where he needed to be for him to one one day be king. Why does that make a difference for you and I? Because the same God... That works that way with David is the same God that works that way with you and I. He's working through the people in our lives. I I understand that some of you right now might be in a season where God just doesn't seem present and He's not obvious and it's not very clear and you're not really noticing Him at work and you don't feel like He's answering your prayers and He's not really doing a thing. Friends, He is doing a thing. You just need to open up your eyes and start looking. He's working through people in your lives. He's working behind the scenes, and day in and day out, moment by moment, get this, he's doing it graciously. His morning mercies are new, every morning. Mercy, grace, you're not getting what you deserve and he's giving you what you don't deserve. Again and again, that's who he is, that's what he does, and we get to be recipients of that, hallelujah. What an awesome, mighty God that we serve that he chooses to not only put up with us but to love on us and and involve us in his work and and one day he's gonna get us to the finish line. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now and we thank you, uh, God, that you are always at work. You never stop working. Whether we see it or not, that doesn't change a thing. You're at work. Even right now, in this moment, you are at work. You're at work in our nation. You're at work in the world. You're at work in our individual lives. So we thank you. And we just ask, God, that you would give us the eyes of faith. That you would help us to see that you are at work. And not only see it, but be overwhelmed with the grace and mercy that you're pouring out on us in your work. Help us to see, to praise you for what you're doing, and to embrace your will for our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand as we respond through song?